Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, we're excited that you're here with us again today. We're going to get into a very intense conversation uh, about a, a really important topic. Uh, we'll be visiting uh, with uh, with an old friend, uh, Josh McDowell, and 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 we're going to be discussing the current state of, of the American church. And, and and before we do that, I know that. Bubba, you and I have been in this situation. We're all trying to make our automobiles uh, go longer. And, and the good news is they're, they're more high quality now. They're well made. But the problem, the warranties have not exactly gone along with us. The warranties are still pretty much like they've always been. Have you noticed they seem to wear out right before the car starts breaking down and having trouble? Yeah, that's where CarShield comes in. We, we love CarShield. And, of course, now with all these computers and all these sensors and, I mean, just the, the smallest inconvenience can can lead to a really big bill so if your automobile is older than than 5,000 miles may we suggest that you do what we've all done get that car under the car shield because now car shield extends the warranty and so if it's a covered repair here's how it works I mean you you, you have a problem with the automobile car shield deals directly with the ASC certified mechanic of your choice uh, or dealership whichever one you would prefer uh, and then they give you a rental car that you can drive while yours is being repaired, uh, and then they pay that mechanic or that dealership directly. Uh, so it, it is worth every dime uh, to get that automobile under the car shield so you can enjoy it. And how about this? Even while you're under the car shield, even if the car is running fine and you break down on the side of the road, uh, you get 24-7 roadside assistance. So if you'd like to find out more about it, uh, don't wait until that check engine light comes on. You act now. Get covered by CarShield by calling 1-800-CAR-6000. Mention the code RICKBUBBA, or you can visit carshield.com and use the code RICKBUBBA. That'll save you 10%. That's carshield.com. Uh, the code is RICKBUBBA. A deductible may apply. Uh, we were talking about visiting with Josh McDowell, and, and he joins us now. Josh, it is so good to be back together. It's been too long. Well, I know whenever your ratings start to slip, you call me. <laughs> I love it. Uh, My wife says, honey, you got to quit saying those things. Nah, we look, you look fantastic. Well, of course I do. Yeah, still going. I can't believe you're not in a sweatsuit. I, I thank you for dressing up for us today. You know what? My bottom half is a sweatsuit. I just came in from running. <laughs> We're only seeing him from the waist up. So yeah. we, that's, uh, you know, I remember when we worked in TV, a lot of times the anchors had shorts on yeah. with their sports coat. Here's how long it's been, Josh, and, and it kind of ties into our topic today. Uh, Bubba and I were reminiscing uh, when you were out on the tour with, with evidence that demands a verdict which is one of uh, Josh McDowell's most famous titles. Did you know this, Rick? It is ranked as one of the, the top, most influential books of the Christian walk uh, post-World War II. I mean, it's wow. very high honor to that book. Well, And why we, we thought it was so important, and I think, Bubba, why, why it's listed there, is, is, is the point you were making is that certainly those of us that are followers of Jesus, we, we certainly believe by faith, but that faith is also based on a huge body of evidence, and you were touring the country, you know, telling especially young people about this evidence, and uh, we were honored to be part of that. But we, we're sort of sitting in a situation right now, well, I think where I think it's time to do this again because, uh, you know, I'm not trying to do hyperbole. It's not an exaggeration to say the American church is is in trouble. It, it is. Uh... But down through history, the church has always been challenged. Yeah. But the new thing today, since about 2008, 
with the introduction of the smartphone changed everything, including church. And um, if we don't, I, I put it this way, if we don't address it right away, within four to five years, the global, the global evangelical church will be marginalized. We will lose our influence within four to five years because things are changing that fast. Well, now, how, how do you tie that to that technology, Josh? Show, walk us through that. Well, what happened with when the smartphone came out, people started to communicate with their thumbs, not with their tongues. They started to develop connections. It became the biggest thing in their life, but they didn't develop relationships. And as you well know, we were all created to function in the context of relationships. Oh, does research show that? And when we don't, there's tremendous consequences. And what has happened with the iPhone is the atheist agnostics that hate everything like what I believe and despise and what you guys believe. They used to have very little influence with our young people, with our own children. Had been, unless you read a book or went to a meeting, and few read their books, and few went to their meetings, you didn't see the consequences of it. Now it is just one click away to some of the most profound questions to the Christian faith that most people can't answer. And as a result, young people are being confronted with this without the answers. So you're saying it's too much access to too much information without, uh, you know, the ability to, to have it explained and sit down and let's talk about this. You know, you're, you're, the young people now can go out and get all these bizarre opinions that who knows where they're coming from. Uh, and then too many times, I think, where we have failed, and, and I think you're making that point, is that uh, our generation has has failed to be able to handle the Word of God in a way that is ready to answer these questions because, to your point, there was a time when your children were, re- were rarely presented with these questions. With the Internet, we not only have access to uh, an incredible knowledge, which I think is wonderful, yeah. but we also have access to the greatest challenges to the Christian faith. And with the Internet, you're getting everything in bite size with the attention span about eight seconds. And one of the problems today, even Christians, we're learning truth in bite sizes. And we're learning truth without context of it. For example, I believe in the Scripture, all truth was given to impact relationships, relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, relationship with mom and dad, with the lost, with the found, with the saved, with the church, with your children, with your parents, etc. And when we learn truth today, we're learning it in little spouts of about 8 to 10 seconds. And we're not seeing how it relates to relationships or the context of that truth. And as a result, we're growing up with a lot of beliefs, but few convictions. Mm, and that's the difference. And, and, oh, yeah. that's, and then you have to understand this, guys. 
I'm just releasing a document on this. I'll send one to you. You might use it on the air. It's called the 10 Challenges of the Church. Okay. And it's 10 challenges that if we don't meet in the next five years, we will pay a price. And it has nothing to do with how healthy the church is or anything. These are challenges totally apart from the church. For example, can either one of you tell me what is the number one epidemic in the world now? Number one epidemic that relates to people, not diseases. I would what say, do you think it is? I would say porn, drug abuse. No. Okay. What is it? The number one in the world that all research shows is loneliness. In every culture of the world. And it stems back to about 2008. And that's when the, the uh, smartphone was introduced. We're connecting and not relating. But I learned one thing, men. Whether it comes to the Internet or what, with all these challenges we face, there's one basic foundation for its solution. One. And it's this. A loving, intimate relationship with the Father. Almost every challenge we face is a greater challenge because we are not building those loving, intimate relationships between parents and their children, especially the father. And I believe in the next five to ten years of the church, apart from just teaching straightforward the Word of God, which is always central, the church needs to do two things. One, it's got to, it must wake up and present why we believe, not just what we believe, but why in the world do we believe it? It's called apologetics. Mm -hmm. um, because of the Internet, the, the convictions element in a person's life is breaking down. Second, we've got to help parents build loving, intimate homes, and especially in a relationship with their children. If we don't do that, then I will say to any pastor, your preaching will fall on deaf ears. It won't produce the results you want it to see uh, because of that. Uh, and uh, Well, Josh, speaking of that and down that line, obviously we have challenges. But here we are, 2020. Uh, how do you... What kind That's of your vision or the year? <laughs> Both, I hope. What uh, what kind of grade would you give the American church? Where where is it doing good? Where is it failing? I've been asked that question so many times the last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, I wish I just could snap off an answer, guys. Yeah, let, let me. Well, we just yeah. curious of your thoughts. So what, what, what do you think about this one, Josh? Because you mentioned it really in passing. And, and it's something that God has, has kind of called our platform to, and we're, we're actually launching something coming up on, on March the 2nd, and I, I'll keep you updated on that. One of the things the church has said, for as long as I've been in the church, uh, you know, my, my, my family had me there when I was a child. Uh, I walked away from the church uh, for 13 years of my life and, and then returned to what I believe was finally the total submission to the, the authority of Christ and, and true repentance. And, yeah. I, and I've been continued to be radically changed by that year by year through sanctification since. But 
I heard every single Father's Day, for as long as I could remember, that the man that God had given the husband and the father the most influence in the home, in the church, and in society, and we've produced Christian research after Christian research after Christian research to validate that point. But I will tell you in my travels, because when God called me to this, I started you know, speaking places, I would ask the church about the, the help of any sort of discipleship program for the men of the church other than the Father's Day message uh, a prayer breakfast or maybe a wild game feast where you bring a coach or a sports figure in to awkwardly try to tie scripture to sports stories. And I found that I, I, nine out of ten churches had no game plan whatsoever uh, to disciple men from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, but yet tell him every Father's Day he should be the spiritual leader. He's the place for his family to get the answers concerning our faith and concerning the Word of God, but they were doing nothing to equip them. Now, there were some events that did a lot of high challenge, but there was no game plan for high equipping. And so I kind of, you know, I, I have the common sense, uh, I mean, the superpower of common sense. I said, isn't it logical that the church should change the strategy of going after women and children to draw a man into the church and actually go after the man first, disciple him, make that ministry the most important in the church? And then you can prepare him to do what you're talking about. Like you said, you can talk to his children all day long, but if they go back into a home where he then has that influence to turn that away or not to solidify that, you, the church has access to this family maybe an hour and a half of the week. If you're really devoted, they might get two hours a week, but the rest of that time they're spending with mom and dad. And, uh, and if that dad ha- hasn't been equipped, then he cannot solidify the faith in that home. So I think that's one mistake. The American church is terrible when it comes to discipling men, absolutely terrible. So how are you going to address it? We're, we're putting together an entire uh, a comprehensive game plan for churches that features high challenge but also features uh, high equipping, and we're going to provide 40 weeks' worth of curriculum every year designed by men for men because you can't find men's curriculum. You can find some books. But, you know, you, you lay people in the men's ministry say, hey, we need a men's ministry. Here's some lay guys. Y'all go figure out some Bible studies and put together some things for men to attend. Even Promise Keepers told me they failed uh, on the discipleship part because they gave them high challenge, which was great. But he, they said, we thought we would send them back to churches that would then disciple them, and that didn't happen. So the discipleship part we, we are putting in as well. We're putting together a turnkey men's ministry that focus, you cannot disciple men treating them like they're women and children. And this is designed by men for men, and uh, you will have a, a never-ending cycle of discipleship. We do four services a year designed after Exodus, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think it's 20, uh, 40, Exodus 24. I can't remember the exact place. Anywhere, we're 3423, where Moses, now that we've got the new covenant, Moses is told to bring the men there three times a year. God just wants to talk to the men. So we're on a quarter system, so four times a year there's a service for men, only for men of the church. And then when they come out of those services, they go into the curriculum. When they come out of the curriculum, they go back into a service. When they come out of that service, they go back into the curriculum, and you get them into a wheel of high challenge and high discipleship throughout the year that never ends. That's one of the most encouraging things I have heard in ages. Well, we're excited about it. It will come under attack, so keep us in in your prayers, but we're launching it March the 2nd. My research has shown that 
we have changed 300 years of thinking when it comes to parenting. Yes. It's always been the mother, the mother, the mother, the mother. Well, my wife raises the children. It's the mother that uh, nurtures the child. And, you know, for the most part, it is. But what research has shown is that when everything is even, say, both the father and the mother have the same loving, intimate, close relationship with the child, the influence of the father would be about right there. Yep. It's like 4 to 6% greater the influence of the father. I'm glad you mentioned promise keepers because I love promise keepers. Oh, I do it's too. had an incredible yeah. impact. Yeah. But my, and I, I've told him this so I can say this publicly because I've told him this many times is that the promise of promise keepers, you saw it at the big March in Washington, DC. All the speakers challenged men to be men of God, to be godly husbands to go back home and tell your wife you love her and to love her and everything. But I can't recall, as I watched all of it, any speaker spoke about how that's to it. do it. That's it. And, they, and that's what they admitted. They thought the challenge would be their only role, and they did a great job of that. And they're bringing another one back in Texas uh, this summer, and I've already talked to that guy, and I said, please tell me this time you're going to have a game plan because if you do high challenge but you don't do high equipping – it lasts for a moment, but the guy never learns what you told him to learn. And uh, why don't you partner with him with your game plan? Well, we My are. Gosh. We're trying to. We're trying we to. We don't have to repeat it. We don't have to <laughs> duplicate it. If you guys are going to do what you're going to do, I'll come along and promote that. Okay. And I think promise keepers that come along and say, "Boy, we want to partner with you on this." Yeah, and I have talked. I'm talking to him now. So if you have any influence there, it'd be great because. That's the part. So I think that's one thing. And I think the other thing is, and, and I've seen this going on, and Josh, tell me about this. We just had a major American denomination split because they are for somewhere, somehow, uh, thinking that God has changed his mind on gender, on marriage, and, and, uh, and, and where do they come up with that idea? How does a denomination just look at Scripture and say, we think God means something else now? Well, this is where, and I think in many ways, the church is doing a fairly good job of it, but teaching forth the Word of God, especially in an expository way. But if we don't teach them not just what to believe, but why should we believe it, and how can we live it out in our lives, then we're just playing the game of life. It won't work if we don't give why we believe it and how to live it out. Uh, and I wrote a book along with my son called Unshakable Truth. And guys, what I want to know is how do you present truth in the 21st century that would change lives? How does a pastor preach truth? How does a small group leader teach it in their group? How does a Bible study leader teach scripture in their Bible study. And we went back to Justin Martyr to 130 AD. He uttered four words, believe, belong, behave, believe, belong, and behave. In other words, know what you believe, realize you belong to the body of Christ, the church, and behave. It needs to affect the very way you live. 
out of that, he came up with 12 truths that you must teach these 12 truths or you will not create true followers of Christ or a generation that's passing their faith on to others. And so he took these 12 truths and he did this. Four questions for teaching truth today. Now think of this. Let's say the truth you're teaching is God. The first question, what does a person need to know about God to become a true believer? Second, how do you know it's true? This goes back 1,800 years. (laughs) How do you know it's true? Apologetics. So God is a God of love. He's a creator God. He's a holy God, a just God. How do you know that's true? Third question, and guys, this is profound. This is a question not being asked today, even in discipleship. So the first question is, what do you need to know about that subject to become a true follower? Second, how do you know it's true? Third, so what? So what? So God is a holy God. So he's a creator God. So it's true. What does it mean to me? So what? That's the question we're not asking today. And then the fourth question nails it. So the first question, what do you need to know about that truth? Second, how do you know it's true? Third, so what? Fourth, how can I experience it in relationship with the truth giver and relationship with others? I believe those four questions is the key to teaching truth in a relevant way, in the 21st century. Why? 84% of 18 to 29-year-olds, in a, it was by Barna, said that if their pastor taught truth in a way that they could understand it and it was relevant to their life, they'd return to church. That's that's powerful. No, you, you're you're right. Having having, I still have two sons that are younger, and one's twenty, about to be twenty one. The other one will turn nineteen in in the spring, and and I see that in their age group completely. They really don't want the church to say, "Hey, we got this recreation plan. Let's go play some games and let's do that." And and the youth pastor is going to pretend that he's your age and try to relate to you. They really just want to be told the truth. And why is it, and why is this truth relevant? Just shoot me straight, Josh. And, why are we not tackling that third question? Yeah, I gotta be careful. I say this because you don't have time to give it total context. I don't believe our seminaries are teaching it. I'm not sure in that, mm-hmm. but I just can't imagine if our seminaries are teaching not just what to believe but how to live it and why we should believe it that it's not being reproduced in the church by our pastors. And so maybe it goes back to the curriculum of seminaries. Um, Because if it came down to one thing today, I would have to say, why do you believe You look at pornography. Pornography is the number two epidemic in the whole world. It's destroying us. 
And a lot of people go into pornography because of the first epidemic, loneliness. Right. The third epidemic is anxiety, depression, and mental illness. I know. Think of that. I know. A generation has everything, everything to live for, the material, everything. And they have incredible anxiety, depression. And the Generation Z, over next generation millennials, in one generation, they're 300% higher on the mental health index than millennials. In one generation. That's incredible. That is. And that's what's leading to pornography. But I'll tell you this. If you have any doubt about the veracity of the scriptures, that one, they're true. Second, they've been handed down to us in an accurate way. You can teach all you want on pornography and you'll fail. Because what is happening Pornography immediately starts to cause you to question authority, the authority of Christ, the authority of the Bible, the authority of the church, the authority of your pastor, the authority of your parents. And if we don't embed within them and ingrain within them, why is it true? We will fail. Well, Josh, kind of back to the point Rick had brought (laughs) up earlier, you know, there's some there's some principles of the Christian life that we certainly can debate. And I think you see some people interpret them slightly different. That's why we have some denominational differences within Christianity. But there's a few that I think are just very, very cut and dried. One of them is the sanctity of marriage. Right. How can we have people who will call themselves Christians, but look at that and say that doesn't apply anymore or that God has changed his standard? How do we, how do we get to that point? I just go right back to Scripture and say, what is your ultimate authority in life? For me, it's the Scripture. And it means a lot of things that I don't like, I know are true. Uh, I, I, I think, number one, so many people that will go that is because, now this might sound crazy, because they're involved in pornography. Yeah, it's it's a it's a perversion of God's oh. standard, and and it comes from these places. But back to what you you're saying, and Bubba saying, I'll give you an example. Now I'm, t- I'm going to start with myself, okay? Because I know what I went through. I was a I was a cultural Christian for a large portion of my life, meaning that I believed the same things about Jesus that a demon believed, as James addresses in, in James <laughs> chapter two. So you believe all these things. So did the demons. And they shudder at the sound of his name. But where is the proof in your life that you've been redeemed by Jesus? Where is it? That's not legalism. That's just proof through obedience. You know, and I think what the church has done too, Josh, which I think has been a huge mistake, and I'm speaking about the Western church, we were so ready to remove, rightfully so, legalism from the church after the Reformation. And we were so excited about that, and rightfully so. But it's like human beings, we always go too far. And in our desire to remove legalism from the church, we also removed obedience with it. And we went too far. And now we've become a bunch of grace abusers. And, and I know that speaking back to men's ministry, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't know if it was Chesterson or Dallas Willard that said this, he said one of the problems why people, and I would say this about young people now too, this generation, the reason why they walked away from the church is that we have sold the power of the gospel too low. 
they, they look at it and go, oh, okay, so really, as long as you believe in Jesus, it really doesn't matter what you do. There's really no power in it. You really never get changed by it. It doesn't have all that, as you said, that much value. And, and it's almost like we need to stop being afraid to talk about obedience being the result and that Jesus Christ actually has the ability to radically change your life and, you know, now certainly when you've been redeemed, now the spirit is alive, and now that, that battle that Paul talks about, you know, between the flesh and the spirit begins. Why don't we explain that? And then if you feed the spirit, you're going to see your life being changed. If you feed the, feed the flesh, you're going to see you continue to be defeated. It's like we're almost afraid to talk about obedience anymore, though the Bible talks about it all the time. A lot of that, and I can understand that, Ben, is because of cultural pressure. Yeah. Uh, well, culture's and lawsuits and all. Yeah. Well, culture's been been out to no, stop the church. No. Church forever. I mean, we you, can't you, you play don't... down culture. Yeah, but you you got to uh, stand up against there, culture. We need to build up the believer. Yeah. To live out a godly life within the culture. Right. And first of all, guys, what you're doing with this men's curriculum is probably seventy percent of the entire answer. If in that curriculum you're showing how to live it out. When we talk about the church, I go to a church that's an extension of Mariner's Church out of Newport Beach, California. It's here in uh, San Juan Capistrano. And it is, it is the most incredible church I've ever seen. Uh, I love the teaching and everything, but... They're involved in every aspect of the community. I don't know how they do it. And I said to them, you must have two things. You must have a number of good-sized givers within this church, because this church isn't that big, probably 1,500. Second, you must have an incredible army of volunteers. And it was so neat when the one pastor said to me, Josh, both are true. But just for example, and this is just one of every area they're involved in with the schools. They take children that come from hard, hard homes that don't have a lot and everything. And each semester on a Friday, they will give them backpacks completely filled with school supplies and everything. And then Monday, they're to return the backpack empty. And then the next semester, they do the same thing. It's incredible. And what they do for older folks, for the community, for marriage, for singles, for poverty and all. I'm proud of my church. They're doing the job. I really believe it. And what is neat, they have it organized, and it was built in this way outdoors because Southern California, where when you walk out of that service, they have coffee and donuts I'm diabetic, so that is always a challenge <laughs> to me. <Yeah. laughs> and everybody stays around and talks and interacts and fellowships. And almost every service ends by something you can do that week to implement what the pastor just taught. And it keeps it in people's minds. And many times they'll have, I want everyone here to come up front right on the board what you're going to do and they get people responding. So it's actually, so I would say many churches are out there like my church. I really believe it. And, uh, 
I love it. And my other home church is Prestonwood Baptist in um, Plano, California, uh, because my offices are there. And uh, Plano, Texas. And they're doing the same thing. And so I think there's a lot of healthiness in the church, but we just have to rise to another level right. in how we are teaching. Exactly. And, and, I think, and I think some of the ways we go about it, we're not equipping the people of the church to go out and defend the faith, but also implement the faith as you talked about, because you can't ignore the numbers. I mean, I'm looking at some of the numbers that you guys uh, are, are going to be talking about. I mean, we go from, you know, those born between 1928 and 1945, 84% identified as followers of Christ. The latest numbers with just the millennials, we hadn't even gotten into the, the generation that is after them, we're down to 40%. So we've dropped half. Uh, uh, for you know, every generation it's dropped. Right. Yeah. Let Let me ask both of you this. I, I think just in comparing preaching from now to when I was a child or very younger, um, you, you know, we we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Correct. Lord being obedient, Savior right. meaning Savior from something, right. uh, and we understand that to be the wrath of God. You just don't hear that preach much anymore. Is that good or is that bad? It's bad, bad. Because Josh, what do you think? Because how do I know why? Well, we, why am I? Why do like you said, Bub? I've heard you say this, and I've used it. The word "savior" means nothing to me if I don't know what I'm being saved from. Well, let me let me touch on that, and then I'll come back to what was just said. So many. Here's the way I look at a day. So many are coming to Christ out of hurts and looking for a healer. They're not coming to Christ as a sinner looking for a Savior. Mm, That's good. And where we need to be careful, hurts and everything is what brings people to Christ. We've got to be careful that we walk away from person. They realize what the Bible teaches about sin and what Christ did on the cross. Because before he becomes our healer, he needs to become our Savior. Correct. Correct. And then with what was set now in my mind, I, I lost I said, it. Well, I said the point, the word Savior, how do I know what that even means or the significance of it if I've never been shown what I'm being, what I'm being saved from? This is why we have the Scriptures. This is why God has raised up you two to do this discipleship for men. And without teaching, they won't know it. Right. I think every person ultimately knows they're a sinner by nature. I really do. Uh, if they don't think they are, read off the Ten Commandments. Said, "Did you break any of these this last week?" <laughs> well, yes. Right. Then you're a sinner. Right. <laughs> I just and showed you need up. A savior. Yeah. But it, yeah. Yeah. And, and but we need to live it out. If they don't see it in our lives, why in the world should they believe it? No question. No question. Second, we need to be able to answer why I believe this? Why do I believe the resurrection? Why do I believe that Christ is the Son of God? Why do I believe the Bible's true? Why do I believe that I can trust a book written 2,000 years ago, copied over and over, and you know the telephone game and everything? How can I know? I can pick up my scriptures and with confidence say, thus saith the Lord. And I recommend to people, this is why I wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's why I wrote the small book, uh, More Than a Carpenter. 
And then there's, oh, I tell people, get books by Ravi Zacharias. Oh, my God, I never had to debate him. Right. <laughs> uh, get books by Norm Geisler, Frank Turek. Um, and then, <laughs> this guy is so smart, it's pathetic. William Lane Craig. Um, read these men's writings. Go listen to them. And um, search for truth and why you believe it, and we would solve half our problems. No doubt about including it. Including pornography. Yeah, because I, we talk about this in the strategy of the, <laughs> of, of the men's ministry, ministry, but it would apply to any ministry in the church, is we talk a lot about symptoms, pornography, uh, I, my identity is wrong, uh, you know, I, 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 I worship my hobbies and my sports teams and more than I do the Lord. All those are symptoms. That is, that's not the disease. The disease is they've never been discipled. They, they haven't been taught why they believe it. They haven't been taught what it should look like. They haven't been taught about sin. They haven't been talked, uh, told about redemption. They don't understand lordship and the authority of Christ. They don't understand sanctification. Uh, and and, and we, we haven't taken the time to get into these deeper points, and, and, that, and then that leads to these symptoms of what really was the disease. Either I'm lost or I'm still a spiritual infant, and I, I haven't been taught anything. And, uh, and I think that's... Uh, you, 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 you were right. Sometimes we start addressing symptoms, which can lead to frustration. We need to go back and address the disease, as, as Bubba's analogy that he's talked about. And I would say discipleship is this problem. You can mop on the first floor all day long about the leak coming through the ceiling, but until you go up and fix the toilet where it's leaking on the second floor, you can mop all day long. You better go fix the toilet. Back to when. You guys said we need to teach more the wrath of God. Now, I agree with you, but I think it must always be balanced with the love of God. No question. you got to tell us God whole, this whole story. God cannot express his wrath without expressing his love. Right. He cannot express his love without expressing his wrath. <clears throat> well, you got to explain. So we yeah. need a good balance between the wrath of God and the love of God. Well, and the holiness is lacking. We, we've got to talk more because— why? Well, because you, know, you know what people will say. I've had to have. I've talked to a guy before. He goes, "Well, why didn't God just say, okay, we're good? Why did He have to do this this crucifixion and this resurrection? If He's God, why couldn't He just say everybody's forgiven?" And that's when they have to know we well, can't because He's holy. There's nothing He can do about it. He can't cease to be holy. And so, if He's holy, then an ounce of sin cannot enter into His presence. And once we sinned, He had to come up with a sacrifice in order to reconcile us to himself. And here's the good news. That explains his wrath. It must come down on sin. But to your point, Josh, here's the good news. He came to us to resolve the problem because we couldn't resolve it. That's how much he loves you. Uh, but but That's you, right. But you got to have a balance of both. You don't understand either and, one if, and, you, if you leave one out. And, and like you said, in the holiness, he holds himself to his own rules. He can't help he it. Can't, he can't change the rules midstream. Right. So, and the reason is this. You even take seminary graduates, and you ask them, who is God? They think you take his attributes, and God has revealed himself, who he is, through his attributes. He said, many people in their minds think you add up all the attributes of God, and the sum total equals God. And when people think that way, and most people do, then love is a part of God. <clears throat> but here is a biblical approach, an attribute is not a part of God. An attribute is something that is true of God in his very nature. When we say God is 
righteous. We don't mean a part of God is righteous. We mean God in his very nature is righteous. We say God is holy. That's not a part of God. That's true of his very nature. Now, this is why, is there anything that God can't do? You know how many people sit around and they argue over this? Yeah. Can God build a stone so big he can't move it? Right. <laughs> There's many things God can't do. Right. And people say, Josh, that's wrong. No, it's not. God cannot perform any reality inconsistent with his basic nature. Right. In other words, God cannot act in an unloving way. Why? Because love is something that's true of his nature. And so whenever God exercises his love, he also exercises holiness, his wrath, his justice, his righteousness, his kindness, his goodness. And they'll say, yeah, but God is so inconsistent. Look at how he talked about love and he threw him out of the temple. No, God was being consistent. That's right. Because if God does not respond to sin, then he's not being consistent to his basic nature. That's correct. And so I tell people, you know how God will respond. Get to know who he is. And I encourage believers, go and find out all the attributes of God and then study each one of them. Then you will know who God is. Well said, and and that's that's what that's exactly what I think is missing. And 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 because as, as you just said, if you understand all of it, everything that's happening with God is actually quite consistent. But if you're not taught all those attributes, uh, then you don't understand that. Now, now before we wrap up, I, I do want to let you know, and and there's all kinds of markets that are watching this and paying attention. You can go to Josh.org to find out anything that Josh McDowell and the Josh McDowell Ministries are doing, but in our, in our home market, there's going to be an opportunity for you to come hear Josh speak to these topics we're talking about, and that is the current state of the church in America, especially as it relates to the younger generations. Sunday, March the 1st, Josh will be at Grace Community Church uh, at, at Deerfoot Parkway in Trustful, Alabama. That's the Birmingham area uh, where we're heard on 104.7 WZZK. And uh, it'll be a 9 a.m. session with Josh and a 1045 session with Josh, and if you need information about that, you can find that at josh.org, or you can contact Grace Community Church at Deerfoot Parkway. Josh, it has been so much fun to visit with you, and I hope that we make this, you know, something that happens a little quicker than it did this last time. And I will get with you, and I'd love to talk to you further about uh, this men's discipleship strategy that we're launching on March second. And if you could be a proponent of that uh, oh i will i would love if you could get me some so i can can study it and critique it okay if you want to go to themanchurch.com themanchurch.com there's a teaser video there and uh, and people are subscribing uh for emails and then i'll get the curriculum and some samples of all that to you as well uh, i'll get the contact information from uh, everybody who put this together today okay okay go to themanchurch.com correct and uh, we'll I'll go as soon as I get off. All right, Josh. Yeah. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, and uh, Josh. Hey, thank you. Come on Next down. Time, come on out and let's do this in my living room. I was about to say, invite <laughs> invite us out. You know, we'll sit together, check out your surroundings, and and do it from your location next time. Okay. Hey, if you get to California, no place to stay, no food, nothing, call me, and I'll pray for you. (laughs) Josh McDowell, thanks for being with us today. Thanks to all of you that are watching right now or listening. 
to Rick and Bubba University, and uh, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy this. Pass this around, share it with people you think need to hear the conversation today, and we'll we'll be with you on the next edition of Rick and Bubba University. Thanks for being with us.